Our scripture reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 32. Luke chapter 5, at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And then when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he came, Jesus, well, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more of the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. 
and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bob. Long passage today. Thanks for reading it. Why do we do that? Why do we read the word of God together out loud? Why do we respond with, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God? One of the most important things we do every week is to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, In some ways, what was just read is the most important thing, even more important than what's coming after it. We believe the word is inspired and that through it lives are transformed. Well, why do we respond together? We do that at Bethany Church because while we believe we are individuals saved by placing our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, we also believe it's a great exercise for us to do things together so that we can hear each other's voices and and join our voices in unity as we sing, as we say an Apostles' Creed, or as we respond to the word of the Lord together. That's why we do it. We think it matters. Well, I'm on the tail end of a nasty head cold. Some of you probably are too. And I am just feeling like I'm so hopped up on so much Dayquil and NyQuil. I don't know what I'm going to say today, actually. (laughs) So I don't know what is going to happen today. Uh, Maybe you can give me a blank slate or blank check today um, to to get off. But uh, yeah, I'm just feeling a little uh, uh, under the weather. But we're going to push through. And aren't you glad that um, ministry and fruit isn't by our strength? Um, It is by the strength of the Lord and by his word. And so that's what we do today um, as we come to Luke again. Well, we continue our series in Luke, Accomplished Among Us, our series, with a collection of what looks like in chapter 5. As Bob was reading, you maybe thought, this is like a loosely connected mishmash of random encounters with Jesus. But I hope to show you they're all connected. We're going to look at a progression of truths that began with Peter we heard that story, moves through two different healings, and then you heard it, it ended with Levi. And what is incredible is that in these snapshots, there's a progression of the story of an identity counter with Jesus. We're actually going to see through these four stories or one big picture of what it looks like to have your identity, a person to come before Jesus and have an encounter with him from start to finish, Peter. The, the leper, the two healings there in the middle, the, the, uh, the man, the paralytic, and then Levi called as well. To ask ourselves a question, what happens when your identity comes into contact with God in flesh, Jesus Christ? What happens to us? Whether you're here today and you're a longtime follower of Christ or you're just encountering Jesus for the first time or first few times here at Bethany Church, we all need ongoing identity encounters with Jesus. We have to have that to grow. When I was in my early 20s, my mother and I went to a, have a meeting with a surgeon at Scripps in San Diego. 
that time I was considering having an operation, and in my early 20s, she went with me to the meeting, kind of as moral support. I was still fairly young at that time, and she went with me for some moral support, and I didn't end up having the surgery, which is not even the point of the story, but as we went into the room with this doctor, my mother and I had this incredible encounter with this larger-than-life personality in this surgeon. I still remember to this day, 20-some years later, as we walked into his imposing office, behind this massive desk sat this kind of distinguished, gray-haired man in his white coat. And he kind of exuded this uh, respectability, confidence, charisma, and presence, yet magnanimous and kind and, and yet approachable. He's a really interesting guy. And we sat there and kind of just listened to him as he, in some ways, commanded the room. And after we walked out of that office, both of us looked at each other without even having any conversation about it. We kind of looked at each other like, what in the world? Who was that guy? Just one of those guys, one of those type of people. I kid you not, he was, he was a really impressive personality. It only took about two minutes for us to kind of catch that. Maybe you've had an encounter with somebody like that in your life, kind of just an impressive personality, and it just took a moment or two for you to realize, wow, something's kind of different about this, this guy or this lady. Maybe it was an encounter with an important figure. Maybe it was your trip to the principal's office. I don't know that you remember. Or with your boss or a celebrity or a larger-than-life memory of maybe a grandpa or a grandma. You've got this memory of them and as this larger-than-life persona. Maybe it was getting pulled over by a police officer for you. Whatever it is. We all have had an encounter with a person that just made you pause and take stock of things in life. But even if you met the President of the United States or could go back in time to meet a favorite historical figure, none of those encounters would measure up with an encounter with Jesus. None of them. So let's look at the progression today. Grab your outline. Hopefully you got it there. Take a look at it. It's a fill-in for those of you that like to fill in. Have your scripture open as well to Luke chapter 5 as we take a look and encounter Jesus again. Here's what I want us to see. It's not written in your outline, but this is something I want us to get right up top. In Christ, we receive an identity. We don't achieve an identity. That's really important. In Christ, we receive an identity, not achieve. It's the one thing I want you to notice about these stories and one of the most important things about Christianity. It is the only religion in the world in which you receive an identity from someone else. You don't have to achieve it on your own. You receive it. Let's start with Peter's encounter, though. Here's Peter's encounter. Here's where the identity encounter begins. In an encounter with Jesus' holiness, our identity is shattered. Absolutely shattered. Verses 1 through 11, we get this well-known encounter, the calling of Peter. To discipleship. It's a well-known story by many of you probably, but just in case you're not familiar with this story, Jesus calls his first followers to follow him, to be disciples, or a word we like here at Bethany Church is the word apprentice, an apprentice of Jesus. And he comes, Jesus comes to this professional fisherman, Peter. After teaching from Peter's boat, the bow of his boat, and after Peter's finished all night and from going out fishing, and he has caught nothing, and he's tired, and he's exhausted. Any of you worked the night shift ever in life? Yeah, you know what Peter feels like. (laughs) You know what he feels like on that morning. He's exhausted. He's probably a little irritable. He spent all night and has not come home with much fish. 
And here comes Jesus after he's been out all night and after Jesus teaches and he asks him to go down and let down his nets. Remember, Peter's the fisherman. Peter's the expert. Peter's the professional fisherman and boatman and, 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 and Jesus is not. Jesus is none of those things. He's a craftsman. He's not familiar with boats probably. He's not a fisherman. And Peter at this point is not even quite sure who this man is yet. It's just, who is this guy? And Peter responds as a primary piece of his own identity is challenged, his professional identity, who he is, how he's found some standing in the community, made a living for his family. Peter's achieved a lot to establish himself as an accomplished fisherman. And here's this, this rookie, he's gonna come and tell me what to do? He's gonna tell me how to run my own business? Wait a minute. We've been fishing and rowing all night. You want me to what? Jesus, these fish are not even biting. Look at verse five with me. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I I will let down the nets. And maybe a bit of passive aggressiveness there with Peter or maybe a little bit mixed in with a little bit of self-righteousness too. I mean, Jesus, we're the fishermen, you're not. But at least Peter obeyed. At least he obeyed. But Peter's identity is being challenged here. Let's talk about identity for a moment. And it's really important we do this because every culture among all the history has had a way that it gives people to understand what their identity is. It's not taught. It's caught, actually, if you want to go in the, keep the fishing, fishing metaphor going. It's not taught. Somebody doesn't, you're not born, you go, hey, here's how you get your identity in our culture. Here's how you get your identity in our family. No, 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 no. How does it come? It comes through the stories of a culture how you find your purpose and meaning. So it actually matters that we talk about this for a moment. What is an identity? You hear that word everywhere today, a lot. I identify as this or I identify as that, whether it's a sexual identity or a sports team you identify with or or you're a professional identity, I am a, whatever, fill in the blank there, or a parenting identity. We all have an identity and every person has to have one. You have to have an identity. You can't live or really survive or even go out to know how to function and navigate in the world without one. Here's some general questions to help us understand what an identity is. Take a look at these. It'd be questions like this. Uh, Who am I? Where do I find meaning for life? What constitutes a good life where we live and can be? Or a good person maybe in Canby or Oregon or America, you might say. What does it mean to be human? And what is my purpose and why am I even here in the first place? Those are all questions that everybody asks whether they know it or not. They're questions that you're taught, well, they're caught, I guess I said, that everybody learns from where they grow up the answer to. Now, here's what I hope is helpful for us and will show us the amazing mercy and grace it is that we get to receive an identity from Jesus rather than have to achieve it, is to look for just a minute or two at two different ways, two distinct ways that our culture, people have found an identity in our, where we live, or you might say in America. Two different ways we've been guided and shaped by our culture. And a lot of this comes from a man, Charles Taylor. He's a Canadian philosopher, go Canada. Um, and, but it's super helpful because it helps us understand the world and ourselves and your neighbor. 
And are we to reach the, our neighbors with the gospel? Yeah. So then it matters that we actually try to think like we think, but also how others might think. It's important we know what, how somebody would answer these questions. Because that's who we are. That's what makes our identity. You could call these two ways, uh, two, two, two terms. Uh, a traditional identity and a modern identity. Traditional identity and modern identity, our, our day and age. Here's what the traditional identity used to look like until about 150 years ago. Or actually, it's still prevalent in some Latin American and African cultures, and maybe if you grew up uh, in a family that has some connection there, you, you might relate to some of this. But here's what, a, what it used to look like to answer all those questions I had up. Look like this. It was outside in. What do I mean by that? Well, to find identity and purpose, you went to either your family or your town or your culture or to religion or to God, and it was an outside authority that spoke to you. And you'd go outside of yourself to find how to answer all those questions I had up there. Why am I here? What's the good life? Why do we live? What's the purpose? And you'd go outside yourself to find those answers, and then you would come back inside and look at yourself. But then what you would do is you would shape your inner self to that, that external authority outside in, and you'd conform to that external reality. That's the way the world worked entirely until about 150, 200 years ago. Everybody would have found their meaning in life that way. Outside themselves, come inside and look at their life, conform to that reality outside yourself. Does that make sense? Here's what traditional or modern identity, here's where we've come to today. And this might explain a lot for you, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Modern identity has totally transferred, changed, transformed is the word, to inside out. We've had a total transformation. Here's what this one means. You look inside yourself to find your meaning, your purpose, your identity, and who you are. And then you go from inside and you go out to ask everyone else to conform to your reality. And nothing can get in your way. They're totally two different ways to look at the world. Now, before you get thinking, well, oh, modern, bad, traditional, good, I'm making a case for only for traditional identity, I'm not actually today saying that traditional is better and if we could just get back to that because there were some things about that traditional identity that weren't so great. Like, guess what? If you were born into a traditional family, a family who made shoes for a living, and you said, well, Dad, I want to be a farmer. No, guess what you were going to do for a living? You were going to make shoes because your dad made shoes and your grandfather made shoes, but I don't want to make shoes. Well, if you don't, your identity and your community will not be very good. We're a shoemaking family. That's what we do. So it could be a bit oppressive too. Uh, Or how about falling in love, marriage and love? I love this person. I love her. Yeah, but she doesn't come from where we come from. And she doesn't look like we look. You cannot marry her. Your identity in the community will be shattered if you do that. So all that to say, I'm not here to make a case that just traditional identity is good, modern identity is bad. What I'm hoping to make the case today is that the gospel identities are true identity. That's what I want us to see today. But we've totally transferred from a traditional to a modern identity in the West. How we answer those questions, and we all do it. We all answer them. The best modern example I've seen or heard is from the uh, film Frozen. How many of you have seen Frozen? A lot of you, and you're mostly adults, so yeah, a lot, a lot of you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great movie, great animation, great music, all that stuff, but 
What's so great about this movie, and this is why this is important, because we, uh, uh, our identity comes through stories. We catch it. It's our, we're not taught it. But what's so great about this character is in the movie, she transitions right in front of our eyes from a traditional identity to a modern identity. And just in case you couldn't get it, right in the middle of the song, she's got a fantastic costume change. If you've seen the movie, right in the middle of the song even, it's right there for you. It's the song, Let It Go. Every, what song do you think has been in my head all weekend long? <laughs> Cannot get it out because I was thinking about it this week. Take a look at the lyrics. Take a look at them here. Uh, traditional is on the left side and modern's on the right, kind of like our slide. And just to be clear, if this is a really uncharitable take on traditional identity, it, it, there's some really, some really good things about it. It's a really uncharitable take on it, which is not surprising. But here's a slide. Here's the left side. Remember that ex, uh, external in uh, traditional identity? The wind is howling like that swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Traditional identity, external in. There's rights, there's wrongs. Don't let them know what's actually going inside. Conform to that external reality. And then all of a sudden, there's a switch. It's time to see what I can do. Test the limits and break through. Here's our modern identity. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go, turn away and slam that door. You better do it, right? Caught, not taught. I don't care what they're going to say, let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. You see that? It's so clear. It's so clear. And we can't get into today, we don't have time to get into today, all the positive and negatives of each identity, but both of them are achieved. Both of them are achieved and not received identities that we find in Jesus Christ. They both need an encounter with Jesus. Both of them. So back to our story. Peter's identity in the face of, of holy Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. The rookie fills two boats with fish. Did you catch that in the story? The nets were almost breaking with this miraculous catch, verse 6 says. In fact, it was so full, they needed help. They needed a partnership, kind of a partnership in ministry. But it's Peter's humble response that's telling. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Whatever he thought about his identity in that moment, especially his work, his professional life, was absolutely shattered and undone. He was totally humbled. I thought one thing about myself, and now I think another. Or I don't know, Peter's in that moment. This is what happens when humans come into contact with the true God. It's a little bit closer to the traditional identity, you stare outside yourself into the face of greatness. Here with Peter, it's Jesus Christ. And then he comes back to look at himself and he says, he's humbled. It totally falls on his knees. Totally falls down. It's kind of like Isaiah. Remember that place in chapter 6 of Isaiah? Where he has a vision too of greatness outside himself. He's undone like Peter. It's reminiscent of Isaiah's experience. Look at this. In the year that King Uzziah died... Here's his vision. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I said, woe is me. I am lost. I'm, an un- I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. When a person comes into true contact with Jesus and his greatness, they either want God to get away from them or they want to get away from God. That's a true encounter. Have you had that kind of encounter with Jesus? Where he has addressed your identity or the things that you found so much purpose and hope and life in and come and shown his true greatness in front of you. Imagine when the fish were jumping in the boat, literally. It was just incredible. Peter just fell down. His identity was shattered in the face of this much power and this much holiness. Have you had an encounter? It doesn't look just like Peter's. It doesn't have to. But where your identity has been rattled a little bit and you had to take stock and go, wait a minute, who is this person? Who is this man? If you haven't yet, could you ask him for that? Could you ask Jesus for that? Could you pray for that and say, Lord, give me that kind of encounter with you that I can have an identity that's received from you that I have to, don't have to go out and work for and achieve? And one great thing is Jesus doesn't leave Peter there. Though he shattered on the floor, look at verses 10 and 11 with me. He doesn't leave Peter there. He says in verse 10, do not be afraid, Peter. Don't be afraid from now on You'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What happens? And this is hopeful for all of us. Because Peter's undone. He's realized he's unclean. He's realized he's a sinful. And what does Jesus do? He commissions the sinner. He commissions the sinner right there in that moment. Jesus doesn't get in Peter's face and say, yeah, you're right. You know what? You are a loser. I could never use someone like you. Get away from me, Peter. No. He comes to Peter and he says in compassion, I have an identity that's better for you, Peter, than all the days you've spent fishing. You were a fisherman, now it's man you fish. He gives him a new identity. And we can celebrate and we should celebrate Peter's humble response. He leaves everything and he follows. Don't you see? He uses people just like us. He commissions the sinner here. He uses people like us in the world. Maybe you've, maybe there's a ministry opportunity that's been brought to you recently or, or some other ministry opportunity in the past and, and you've shied away from a responsibility or, or a, an opportunity or from a neighbor or family member you've been wanting to, to, to help take a step closer to Jesus because we think, well, I possibly can't be used. Look at me. Who do you think Jesus is currently using? We're all a bunch of Peters. We're all a bunch of Peters who've had our identity shattered by Jesus. Or how about in reaching the lost? Do you think, I'm not eloquent. I don't have enough ideas. What if I was caught without an answer and just trying to talk about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus uses to reach the lost? A bunch of Peters. He commissions the sinner here. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. It's our first step, a shattered identity in the face of Jesus. Let's look at our second. Jesus doesn't leave us shattered in our sin, but he declares us clean and forgiven. It's point two on your outline there. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave Peter on the floor in front of him. 
and these next two men we're going to look at, but he declares us clean and forgiven. You know, it's one thing to have yourself come undone in the face of Jesus, to have your sins exposed, your brokenness revealed, your identity shattered, but it's quite another to be made clean, to receive cleanliness in God's eyes and presence. And and that's just what Jesus does in our second encounter now. As we look at an identity progression, he was shattered, but now there's this cleanliness idea. This man comes to Jesus and he's got the physical equivalent of the worst sin possible. He's got the physical equivalent of sin, leprosy. And verse 12 says he is full of it, which means he's probably covered with open, oozing, contagious sores, raw from head to toe. Not a great predicament, is he in? Right? Now the Mosaic law would have sent him outside the camp as someone who is unclean. He'd be unable to worship with God's people. He was cut off, in other words, from relationships. He was an absolute outsider. Not only that, he was uh, feeling physical pain day and night, covered full of leprosy, Luke records for us. And he falls on his face in faith, and he begs Jesus to heal him. It's an incredible encounter. And what's so fascinating and really encouraging is that Jesus touches him. Like our stories last week, Jesus touches him. And there's a crowd around. Can you imagine the gasping that went on in that moment? (gasps) What? What's he doing? The gasping. Well, first, number one, he's not even supposed to be in their midst. So they're shocked to see him in their presence. This guy's been out of town for months. What's he doing back in town? He's not supposed to be here. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, Jesus goes to touch him, which would have made any good Jew ritually unclean. Jesus would have been cut off too. What we're meant to see here is that Jesus Jesus possesses a cleanliness, a holiness that is so great that it cannot be tainted by getting near to us. Do you see that in the story? Jesus cannot be tainted by touching a man with leprosy. He can't be made unclean, in other words, by our sin. He's holy, he's perfect. And in fact, he comes and he touches the man in front of everybody and miraculously heals the man. Remember, Jesus wanted him to have a personal encounter like all the people he healed one at a time in Capernaum last week. He wanted to see them face to face, eye to eye. He could have just waved his hand and the leper would have been cleansed and wouldn't have to get near him, but no. Jesus comes right down, probably grabs his shoulders and looks at him eye to eye. You're healed. You're healed. Verse 14 shows us two things the leper needed to do to be able to go back into the camp. He had to show himself to a priest for an examination and a clean declaration. You could say a clean identity maybe declared over him by the priest. But he also had to make an atonement sacrifice for his sin. The law and priest could not make the man clean. They could only determine and declare if he was clean. But the 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 priest and the law could not change a person's standing before God. And for us too. Only atonement, a sacrifice sin the leper had to do. Only atonement in Jesus can change our identity. We receive it, unclean to clean. The leper needed the atoning sacrifice in the temple, and we do too. We need the sacrifice. 
Do you know what it's like to be declared clean by God in your identity? How many of us carry around a backpack of guilt? Like Christian did in Pilgrim's Progress. You might know that old story. How many of you feel like you're, you're bearing under the weight and burden of years of sins or broken relationships or failed marriages or kids that you're estranged from? There's so much we carry around. We carry it. We feel it. But do you know what it's like to be declared clean by Jesus? There's such freedom in that because it's received, not achieved. The freedom that comes with that. Have you been given Jesus's, received Jesus's record of righteousness? Do you know what it's like that when God looks at you in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, he sees your identity as perfectly spotless. Your record is as white as snow, totally clean. If you're in Christ, that is who you are. That is your identity. The devil, the enemy, will throw things in your backpack every day. He'll try to stuff it full so that you're barely crawling across the ground. And that's when you say, no, my identity's been received. It's not achieved. You're totally clean in the eyes of God. Totally clean in Jesus. It's who we are. Well, we saying that, didn't we? That is who, oh, that's you, who you are. But because who he is, that's who we are. That works either way. It works either way. See, I told you, I'm like really not, not on A game today. But that's who we are. You can have a kind of divine confidence. Not in yourself, though. Not in your resume, not in your track record, but in his resume and track record. So that you and I even actually can go towards those people that might be considered unclean in our day and age. Who is that to you? It's a growth group question you're going to think about, too. But who is that to you? Who is the unclean in our day and age? They had their lepers. Who do we have? 20, 30 years ago might have been the AIDS patient. Would be probably a comparable crossover. Uh, those we don't want to get near. Those we won't, don't want to uh, touch or talk with or go near. But what is it today for you? Who is beyond the pale for you? In Christ, you too have a holiness that can't be tainted by rubbing shoulders with sinners. In fact, we're supposed to, Jesus says. How else will they hear the message that Christ cleanses sinners before God if they don't come around us? Or we don't go around others that, aren't, that don't call themselves Christ followers? And if you're here today, you know what that means? You're in a great place. And we want you here. If you're far from Jesus and don't know him and you're carrying a backpack of guilt, guess what? You're around people that are just the same as you. But there's cleanliness in Christ that you can find. But he also forgives. It's our third encounter. Shatters us, cleanses us, but also forgives. It's the third encounter in this famous story of the man being lowered through the roof by his friend Rufus, I think. He's the guy that took him up there, I think. Um, to bring him down. Sorry, bad joke. Only David got it. Sorry. David and I have dad jokes. We can... <laughs> I heard that little <laughs> he They lower the man through the roof. He was a paralytic whose friends loved him enough to risk tearing off the tiles and bringing him through the roof to get near Jesus. And it's an intense scene. Why? Luke gives us a little detail. The religious people were there. The big guys were there. The big guns. The good people. Like the ones that almost killed him in his hometown of Nazareth. The really important people are there. And they were sitting listening to Jesus teach, and this man comes for a healing, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. What? 
I, I, I'm coming for a, a healing. What was this man thinking, do you think? Wait, I come here for you to heal my body. That's my need, Jesus. That's what I really need. In some ways, this man's paralysis mirrored his need for forgiveness. Have you ever seen a bone out of joint? Some of you have a bone out of the socket. I can remember my senior year of football. I saw somebody's knee. That's something I would never want any, of, any person to see again. Totally out of joint, out of socket. It's not great to see. A bone out of the socket is like our disconnection to God due to our sin. In the garden, we were close to him. We were intimate with with him. We were near him, face to face, or like a bone in the socket, nice and healthy and right in the right place. But our sin was like that disconnection between us and God. And we went from near and special to hanging limp and disconnected out of joint. When a bone's out of joint, out of socket, it's not very useful, is it? It hangs there limp. And not to minimize all this man's pain, or to minimize any of our loved ones here in our congregation who have physical limitations today. But Jesus looked at this man, and as difficult as his physical limitations were, as difficult as his body was, he had something more deadly going on. His spiritual dislocation. There was even a greater problem that he couldn't see. And he gives this man the gift of forgiveness through faith. And you know what it does? It infuriates the Pharisees there. It infuriates the good people. Why? Because who can forgive God, sin but God? And Jesus, reading their thoughts, decides to do the harder thing. Anyone can willy-nilly say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You know, uh, it happens today. I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. Anybody can say that, right? But who can instantly heal a paralytic? That's a little harder, isn't it? Yeah. Only God. And here Jesus could have responded with arguments to the Pharisees. He could have responded with why he had the authority to forgive sin. He could have reviewed all the prophecies his life had fulfilled. He could have run theological circles around them to prove he had the authority to forgive sins. But what does he do? It's the same thing he did with Peter. It's the same thing he did with the leper. He's doing it now with the paralytic, and he's going to do it with Levi in a moment. Rather than use words and all those arguments, he gives them an experience of himself. I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. He gives all the people an experience of his power, of who he is, his holiness, his his magnificence. Can you imagine the shock and the panic, the utter amazement when they started to put put it together? His words, the truth of forgiveness, together with the experience of his power, With the man here, the fish in the boat, the leper, the instant healing, the paralytic instant. Do you see here? You can't just come to Jesus based upon the truth. Let me be careful. It's absolutely oh so ever important, the truth. The truths about him. They're absolutely important. But you have to have an experience in your identity, in your heart, in who you are with him. Broken down, built back up. Broken down, clean and forgiven. Broken down, eternal life received. You can't just come with head knowledge. You have to experience him as a person. And that's what he was giving each person here along the way. But did you notice something? The crowd's amazed. 
And yet not one other person says, please forgive me too. Not one other person. Here is Jesus, the one who has the authority to forgive them. He's got the authority of that, and, and, and they just miss it. Not a, one other person runs. They don't flock and go, forgive me, forgive me too, Jesus. How often do we hear a message, a sermon, a word of God, and think, that's nice, and forget to apply it to ourselves? None of them come to him. Maybe you're here today, and God is breaking down your identity under the weight of these stories. The things that you've been holding on to is your good standing, your identity. Maybe you're here today and he's giving you a real experience of him in these stories. Maybe you're here today and you want to have Jesus declare you clean. You want to receive it, put all your bones back in joint, forgive you. Don't be like the crowd that were wowed and amazed at what he did but didn't even see their own need and run to him for forgiveness. If you're having an encounter with Jesus today, and you might be, and you're not sure what to do. We call it repentance and belief. Turning from our self-manufactured identity and sinfulness and turning towards Jesus in belief. And maybe you're not sure what that's like, and, but if that is happening to you today, could you express it in a prayer that looked like this? The prayer is not magic words in and of itself. The power of the Holy Spirit in your heart is what does a transformation. But if that's happening to you today, could you say something like this? Jesus, I want to have a real encounter with you. I know that my identity is built on fragile things. I want to be one who you would declare clean and forgiven. I realize that like a bone out of the socket, my sin separates me from you. Will you come to me, declare me clean and forgiven, and be my savior? Help me believe that you are who you say you are, the one who has authority to forgive sins. May your spirit give me a new life in you, Jesus. Don't fail to miss what the crowds did, the opportunity of forgiveness that comes from Jesus. Your identity, it's gotta be shattered by Jesus. It's gotta be rebuilt by him as you receive cleanliness, forgiveness, but here's our final encounter. Levi shows us our new identity, how a forgiven sinner responds. We're wrapping up here quick and then we'll get to communion. But one more outcast, the tax collector. He would have been seen as a betrayer of God's people, an extorter of God's people, a thief. And these are the men Jesus chooses. Think about that. Remember, he commissions the sinner. He gives us a new identity. It only takes a few words. Follow me. That's all Jesus says, or at least that's all Luke records for us. And what is Levi's response? It comes from receiving new identity in Christ, not achieving. Uh, Verse 28 and 29. When they heard these things... Oh, sorry, wrong chapter. Um, And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. What does he do? Four words will help us understand what Levi does. He sacrifices, he follows, he celebrates, and he shares. He sacrifices, he follows, he celebrates and shares. He sacrifices, leaving everything behind. When your identity is fully in Jesus, you hold on to the things of this world a little less. He's showing us what it looks like to respond with a new identity. He rises and he follows. As Peter will say later on, where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. This this is the man, Jesus, who would give him meaning, purpose, reason for living, forgiveness, and fulfillment. 
And then he celebrates in a feast. He's overwhelmed with joy. He'd been called by Jesus. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus found him. And now he shares it. He invites all his non-Christian friends over for dinner with Jesus. Sacrifice, follow, celebrate, share. So back to our questions to close. Our identity. What's your identity? Who am I? Where do I find meaning for life? What constitutes a good life? What does it mean to be human? What's my purpose and why am I here in the first place? Here's the answers. Who am I? Forgiven and clean. Where do I find meaning for life? Following Jesus. What constitutes a good life or a good person? Sacrificing for Jesus. What does it mean to be human? Identity in Jesus. And what's my purpose and why am I here in the first place? Celebrate Jesus. Make him known. Celebrate him. It's neither a traditional identity, is it? It's neither a modern identity. It's a gospel identity. And it's received, not achieved. It's given. It's an encounter with Jesus. And today at the table, we get to encounter him again. The Jesus of these stories, the Jesus who healed, the Jesus who brought life to people and shattered their identity and built them back up. And this is why he was able to do it, because he became unclean and a para paralytic leper outcast for us. That's why. He became for us what all of us truly are, so that he could bring us near and back into the fold and give us an identity rather than make us achieve it. I want you to take a couple moments as our servers come forward and get ready. Go to the Lord with your identity. Go to the Lord again with those questions. Where do I get meaning? Where do I get value? Where do I get purpose? And if you find it in him, thank the Lord in your heart and soul today. And we get to encounter him again today in this table. So take a few minutes as the worship band comes forward as well. Our servers come forward. Spend some time in prayer with the Lord.